Hello, I'm Andrew Fuller. I'm a clinical psychologist and work with children, teenagers and their families, particularly in the areas of resilience, learning strengths and well-being. I'm also the chairperson of Generation Next. And in this series of podcasts, I'll be speaking with people who are experts in their area in terms of mental health and well-being. Thank you for joining us and thank you for being part of the Generation Next podcast group. Thank you. We're very fortunate to be speaking with Esther Stevenson, who is the head of gifted education at St Andrews Cathedral College in Sydney, who takes a really interesting slant in terms of the approach to well-being that we'll talk about. And uh, so today we're going to talk a little bit about executive functions, what they are, how they relate to well-being, how they perhaps relate to learning as well not perhaps they do, and then thinking about what are the implications if we really seriously start to develop these skills in schools generally. So, hi Esther, it's great to be with you. Could you start by just telling uh, our listeners a little bit about the executive functions and why you've been inspired to make that the focus of your work in gifted education? Um, sure. So um, it, it sort of start, started a, a roundabout way. Before I started working with gifted students, I was a learning support teacher. Um, I worked in um, schools for specific purposes, um, worked at an autism specific school, and then moved over to a mainstream high school. And what I realised with the learning support students is that, well, although their disability impacted their learning, a big part of the, the challenge for them was not necessarily the disability, but how the disability impacted their executive functioning. So executive functions are cognitive processes that um, enable students to plan, focus, um, pay attention, remember instructions, and also juggle multiple um, tasks successfully. Um, and as you can imagine, it's, you know, these are the functions we use every day as adults to be successful in work. So I had to think about the, you know, the, the struggle of these executive functions and started doing lots of reading and asking lots of questions, um, whether that is an area that I can work on. And the answer was absolutely. Um, and it comes within, you know, all your work with um, neuroplasticity and all of those things. And that was just so exciting because it was a big part of what students struggled with. Um, it impacted their well-being. It impacted their self-esteem. And I could actually actively develop a program to support that. Um, so I, I did the program. The data that I collected was really, um, you know, um, very conclusive that is successful. And as my career progressed, I also started working with twice exceptional students. So these are students who are identified as gifted and talented, but they also have a learning need. And then from there on, um, just started, uh, I, I was named head of gifted. So I now work with our gifted students and our students who are twice exceptional. So before I ask you about the results a little bit more detail, yep. can you describe the program just a bit more so that listeners can understand what you're actually doing at the school? Um, sure. So um, when, you, when you look at executive functioning, you will find um, different skills embedded within that term. 
Um, there's um, a, a researcher in the UK who claims that there are 32 different skills. Um, it, it just really depends on who you look at. Um, I decided to go with um, Peg Dawson and Richard Guare. Um, they, they wrote a, um, a book called Smart But Scattered, um, which I know is quite popular. And what they basically said is, um, the more specific you are with, this, with, with what you mean with executive functioning and the skills you target, um, the better you are able to design an intervention. So within my work, um, the skills that I focus on are organisation and planning, time management, task initiation, working memory, metacognition, self-regulation, sustained attention, and also flexibility and perseverance. Um, and I have to say, I know that working memory is set. Um, I know that, you know, I can't necessarily change what is there. But what I can do is I can talk to students about the impact of working memory. Um, I can talk to them about theories like um, Sweller's cognitive load theory. And then for them, there comes a better understanding. And also then we start talking about strategies. So it's not, there are certain things that I cannot change, but I can support students with strategies um, that they understand themselves better. So in terms of what happens in the school, do you have skill-based sessions or how does that work? Yeah, uh, so we are very lucky that we do um, explicitly teach some of these skills within our pastoral program. Um, we are also a IB school, which means some of these skills are also embedded within our curriculum. The way that I work um, with students is usually one-on-one. -on -one. Um, every now and again, I'll have a small group. I will give them a pre-assessment and um, they will then rate their, their skills in these areas. Um, and I always say to them that when, when, we, when I meet, this is a no judge, this, this is a no judgment zone. You are not coming to me and I'm going to make a judgment on what you can or cannot do or what you've not yet done. Um, the focus for us here is to be open and honest and then to work on these skills at a pace that suits you. So based on the, the results from the self-assessment, um, the student and myself will then select three focus areas and then we will work through those areas. I, um, um, I sometimes have students who need maybe two or three weeks with me, half an hour um, a, a week. And then I have students who I've been seeing for two to three years, and it's really slow and steady. And, and I can never predict who is going to, you know, just take it up and run with it or who is going to be a little bit slower. So the outcomes uh, in terms of what you've been finding so far, tell us a bit yeah. about those, please. So it's it's really exciting. Um, on on one part, I can see a dramatic rise in students' academic achievement, so their school results. Um, but I can also track their um, their effort and their behaviour, their well-being. We have a, a really nifty um, data tool at the school that I work at, where we pull out all of the um, performance data, effort, behavior, well-being, all of those kinds of things. And we put it into um, one, one database. So I can track these students. And not only do I see an improvement in their performance, 
but I can also see an improvement in their effort and behaviour. Just to interrupt and, that, I'll interrupt you yeah. for a second. Having seen Estee's uh, data manual sort of or panel, it's like a airline pilot sort of in a cockpit. Really, there's there's measures on all sorts of things for students. It's an incredibly impressive thing to see. So sorry to interrupt you, but I just want to listen to know not a problem. how impressive and, it is. Yeah, and Andrew, since you saw that. Um, way back when, um, we've actually now, students can now see their data live so they can track it as well, which is really fantastic. Um, they set goals, but it's it's not just the, the um, quantitative data. I anecdotally emails from parents, feedback from students, um, feedback from classroom teachers. So it is really exciting. I have to, um, to be honest with you though, that not, the program is not always successful. Um, I do sometimes have students where I just have to pause um, the program or I'll, I'll have to have a conversation and say, do you know what, I don't think this is working. We are not um, using our time effectively. And the reason, the key reason for that every single time is that the student is not really fully engaged within the process. Um, and that's also why I make it clear to um, to students when they start working with me, that if I am not going to see progress, if I'm not going to see that they are implementing the strategies that I'm using, um, then we might have a conversation to see whether now is the right time. And if we then decide it's not the right time, it's always just a pause and they know the offer is always there. So students really need to be part of this as well. So let's draw a link now. I mean, executive function planning and time management and persistence and focus and memory. Perhaps it's obvious, but perhaps I'd like you just to tell us a bit about how you see that linking with well-being, because of course most people would often think, well, these are pretty important for learning, but how does it relate to well-being? Um, so all of those functions, as you know, sits the prefrontal cortex. And that is a development process, developmental process. Um, some students, usually students with a learning disability or gifted and talented students with their asynchronized development, that the prefrontal cortex, the development will be slower. So what students see is they compare themselves with same age peers and they realize that this is something I cannot do. Um, and that impacts their self-esteem. And then for students who have a learning need, they will already, most of them are, are pretty, you know, clued in with how they are different to their peers. Um, how does it relate to well-being? If students, um, children, they will not just refuse to do something. There's always a reason, and usually it's a skills deficit. Um, and I think for any child to have the confidence in what they are doing is really, really important. I think for children to feel successful in school is very important. And when I say feel successful, I don't mean marks. Um, I mean part of the learning, being, being engaged with what is happening in the classroom, understanding what needs to happen, following instructions, all of those elements are just so crucial to how the students see themselves within the school environment and also how they see themselves as a learner. So I sometimes think about the prefrontal cortex as that part of the brain that goes, 
oh, I don't think you should do that. I think basically um, you should think again, right? So yeah. basically it helps you to pause and go, mm, maybe not. And just as much as, of course, it's important to think about what you should do. So it's about what you should not do. And that that skill is is so vital in life. And I, I guess I'm interested in your thoughts about that part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and as parent, you know, I, I have a, a six-year-old and a, a ten-year-old. Um, as parents, we we are essentially the surrogate prefrontal cortex for our children as they grow up. You know, and sometimes that um, that cerebral prefrontal cortex is a little bit on. Um, uh, uh, you know, there's there's some extra power in there if you have a child with a, a learning need or anything like that. But what I sometimes find is that parents will stay that prefrontal. You know, they 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 will their their support for their child might sometimes be too much for based on the age of the child. As parents, we need to ensure that we um, lay the foundation of skills for our children. Um, for example, in primary school, ensuring the child gets their bag ready the night before, pack their own lunch, um, remember their library books, those kinds of things. And then as the child matures, we do have to slowly pull back our support for their prefrontal cortex to develop. Um, sometimes it will be a little bit of trial and error. You know, a, a child might forget their sports bag or something like that. Um, but their natural consequences will support that process. So it's it's really also allowing a child to fail. And that comes in with working with students and talking about this idea of flexibility and perseverance. Okay, something went wrong. What now? What have you learned? See it as a growth opportunity rather than something negative. So let's say one of our listeners is inspired to think about executive functions and how this could transform our country really and mm -hmm. decided to really you know lobby for us to invest in this because of course we live in an age uh, where skills are incredibly important and the development of them in young people is remarkably uh, predictive of their long-term outcomes in life what do you think would be the desirable or you know the if you like that the magic ball what what would be possible in schools around australia in this yeah. area so we've as a country we have started looking um looking at this at some point so akara um they have a continuum of skills that you can see on their website where they, um, they, they, they do somewhat talk about executive functioning skills, although it is not called um, executive functioning skills. Um, I know that there's some um, work done being done in New South Wales with the curriculum here as well, um, looking at embedding skills. The IB curriculum is really fantastic. Um, they actually explicitly name these skills. There are five um, big categories. And then within the programming of IB, um, within IB programming, you have to show how you embed those skills. And you also do that on a continuum. So we, we are starting to, to, to get um, to veer into that direction. But what is um, quite interesting for me is when you speak to any classroom teacher, and this is a general classroom teacher who has not had any 
um, any training in special needs or gifted education, if you ask them what is executive functioning, they will not be able to tell you. And what's even interest, what's, what interests me as well is even in America where um, executive functioning training, coaching is a very big part of their curriculum and you can actually find quite a few commercially available programs. In America, if you ask classroom teachers the same question, there was a, a study done a few years ago. Um, I think only 2% of teachers could actually really identify what it is. But when you start saying to teachers, if you start unpacking the term, they'll go, oh, yes, absolutely. And they see the benefit. So I would also like to see that we focus on this idea of executive functioning, you know, how the brain works and embedding that within, um, within teacher training. Um, that the school that I, that I work at, um, they are so open to my work and I've, I've, I've managed to do some um, professional development sessions with teachers, um, also with tutors, and, and that's been really helpful in having an open conversation. So when I go to a teacher and I explain that this child has executive functioning issues, the teacher immediately knows what it is and they also know how to support because that was also part of the, the work that I've done with the teachers. So Esther, if uh, a teacher or a listener is interested in developing this in their students or their clients, yeah. where would you recommend they begin? I think the, the most important thing is to just sit and think, where are the gaps within my educational setting or where are the gaps for my child? The, the program that I've developed is really specific to my educational setting. Um, and what I mean with that is, you know, if, if I share any of the resources I've developed, um, it, it might not be, it, it probably will not be useful to a different school. Because what I do is I embed the school policies, the school procedures within how I um, support students. For example, we have uh, for student diaries, we have a very specific way that students need to um, write in their diaries. That is an example. You know, the way that we do assessment tasks might be very different. So have a look at the child, have a look at the setting, decide where, where are the gaps? What are the parts, um, the things that you, you find the student is really, really struggling with? And then, then you look at the opportunities. Is it possible that you can embed it in your curriculum? Is it possible that you can embed it within your pastoral program? Is there a possibility for teachers aides, learning support teachers or other interested staff to work with small groups or one-on-one -on -one with students to embed these skills? So if any of our listeners would like to get in contact with you uh, to ask a bit more, where mm -hmm. or how could they do that? They are more than welcome to find me on Twitter. So my um, Twitter handle is just Estee Stevenson, E-S-T-E-E-E. Or um, Andrew, you are more than welcome to pass my um, email on to them as well. Thank you so much. I want to really honour the work that you do. I think it's so important in terms of turning around young people's lives and helping them to, to reach their potential. So thank you so much, Estee, for spending some time with us today, outlining your work on executive function. And I think it really is an area that's got incredible potential for the future. So thank you. Oh, wonderful. Thank you so much for um, inviting me, Andrew. That's a delight. Thank you.
Thanks. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you would like to follow up in further detail, please listen in to some of the other podcasts that we have made, which are available through the Generation Next website. There are also a series of books uh, from Generation Next in terms of nurturing young minds, uh, covering a series of issues to do with young people, and also in my own book, Tricky Behaviours and Your Best Life at Any Age, which are both available either on Amazon or through Bad Apple Press. Thank you so much, and I uh, hope to connect with you again soon. Thank you. Find more resources for supporting the mental health and well-being of young people on the Generation Next website. While you're there, consider becoming a member of the online learning hub, where you can access practical sessions from leading experts on demand. There are many sessions available in the ever-expanding learning library, and each session has an instantly downloadable certificate of completion, which you may even be able to use to claim professional development. You can also feel great about your membership, with all proceeds supporting Generation Next's not-for-profit initiatives, including this podcast. You may also like to read more in Generation Next's Young Minds books. Both books contain practical and easy-to-read chapters on a range of topics from Australia's leading practitioners. Andrew Fuller's chapter, What is Resilience and How to Do It, is in the book Growing Happy, Healthy Young Minds, available on the Generation Next website at www.generationnext.com.au. We hope you found this podcast helpful. Please share this podcast and your learnings with others. Until next time, thanks for listening and for all you do to support young people and our communities.